0: I stay belted. I'm not pouting. Break through walls and it mountains if you want it. Scream it loud and this world what they've been doubting.
1: Never on the G'day listeners. Welcome to, to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment, and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys, and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Braintainment Podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform, so thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay. Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Braintainment Show. Today's a really exciting one. I'm joined by Chloe McArdle. And uh, look, I'm super pumped to unpack her story a bit and really pick apart uh, the mindset, the psychology of how she's been able to achieve such seemingly unfathomable feats. Um, so I have a feeling this will be a really insightful episode and I encourage you to stick around for it all. Just a little context for you uh, and then we'll dive into it all, of course. Chloe is a world record-breaking open water swimmer who... Um, Firstly, in 2000, well, there's a long list of accomplishments and we'll touch on just a couple today, uh, who in 2014 set a new world record for completing an unprecedented swim uh, of 124 kilometres, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is the longest unassisted ocean swim. More recently, which is quite topical, and we'll unpack that uh, early in the piece today, uh, and a feel-good story in the sports space, given the whole COVID quarantine lockdown situation and not a lot of sports taking place. Um... She went on to uh, successfully complete her 35th English Channel Swim and beat the men's record, which was a really good feel-good story. And like I said, we'll, we'll get her to unpack that a bit today. I think that's really, really cool. Her accomplishments and feats is, you know, it's vast to say the least. So so much so that I generally don't even know how to succinctly summarize what she's been able to do in the water. But um, what goes without saying is that this woman is someone who consistently pushes the boundaries of human performance both obviously on a physical uh, physiological level, um, but of course also, and perhaps more interesting, on a psychological level too, which I find really interesting and can't wait to unpack um, today. So look, I'm really excited to connect with you, Chloe. There's a lot I want to throw at you and I'm sure we're going to have some fun. So welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Liam.
1: So lots we want to dive into. And I mentioned some of the things in recent news, which people might uh, be familiar with your name from. But the first thing that comes to mind and I'd love to get your thoughts around. The first thing that comes to mind when I see people like yourself performing at such high levels of human performance. Um, it's inspiring, of course, and it creates a sense of awe and it's really motivating. Um, but then there is a there's a little bit of an element for me, and I know potentially for people listening, that um, it, it's easy to look at you and say, you must have been born this way or that the discipline that you have to you know do what you do and, and push the boundaries just comes naturally to you. So could you maybe talk a little bit about um, how much you think this is, I guess, just who you are versus, mm. you know, the effort that's gone in and I guess the process to to build the resilience that you've been able to show.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting, Liam. People assume that I just started swimming when I was three or four or five, which is really common in Australian societies, you know, just chucking kids in and getting them going when they're young. I actually missed the boat on that one. So I'm the youngest of four kids and my parents are very busy. They both were working full time when I came along. I may have been a little bit of a surprise package and They just forgot to put me in swim lessons. So I got to the age of 11 where I was going and hanging out with my friends. And I realized, you know, at the local pool, they could swim 25 meters nonstop doing what's called a stroke, like an official stroke. And I was like, what is going on here? And I was so embarrassed. And on that day when I realized it was normal for kids my age to be able to swim at least one lap of a big pool. And I didn't know how to do strokes that I, I was just like, I want to be like them so what got me into swimming was fear and shame and embarrassment and just wanting to be like my other friend and just wanted to be what I thought at that point in my life, just like a normal kid. So, you know, it's nice to have like a really inspiring role models doing amazing things, but sometimes it's just you know we don't want something or we're trying to move away from something or we want to just you know reach a standard that other people are at. And for me as a kid, I just wanted to fit in, like I just wanted to be like my my friend. So I started really late. I started learn to swim classes with five-year-olds and I was like double their size but it's a little bit embarrassing but at the end of the day I thought to myself well I just want to swim and you know if i want to swim with five-year-olds and have lessons with them okay you know they're just younger than me but that's all right and so I flew through the learn to swim levels um, within four terms got straight into squad and then flew through all the squad levels the junior ones within another four terms that's two years and then went straight to competing at state level and then a year later national level in my age group but I never was able to crack through into the elite really elite level where I'd be contending for even close to an Olympic spot so I did end up very quickly moving on to a national program which was like a final program for potential Olympic selection but just could not make it to that next level so I know what it's like to not be able to swim and to have shame around that i know what it's like to try really hard and, and want to be a little athlete and just not get to that next stage but then even on top of that i had that burning desire to just be the best i loved that the swimming journey i've been on as a teenager through competitive swimming i've been able to push myself push my boundaries and constantly make refinements in my stroke in my technique in my fitness um, and even in my my mindset skills and I just, when I was 19, I was like, you know what? I want to be the best in the world at something. And I love sport, So I just started a new journey to figuring out what sport was going to take me to where I wanted to be, which is the best in the world. So that's, Mm. that's kind of what got me into marathon swimming. I did triathlon for two and a half years, tried to be an elite triathlete, sucked at that. Then I decided I'd run a marathon and swim a marathon and by now I'm about 21 years of age. So I'm a late starter to really yeah, do swimming. <laughs> and um, I ran a marathon in three hours, 37, which I was super proud of. And I did that with no real distance running experience, except I had been doing triathlon for two and a half years, quite concertedly. So that that kind of pushed me over there to that, that good point. So I did have a good running base. I probably could have been a marathon runner, but I don't think I would have been the best in the world potentially. But when I did my marathon swim, which was my other little test I was doing um, just after the marathon run, I, I just I nailed that swim. I was first woman, there was only one man ahead of me. And beyond this, that great result, I just had this amazing connection with the open water in the fact that I was really connected with nature I love that things are so variable. You know, you can't control the wind and you can't control the waves and the water temperature. And then you've got the the dynamic elements of having a kayaker and a boat and and you're out there in the sea and you're not crowded into into a small pool or a chlorinated, you know, concrete box. And I I just had this amazing affinity with open water swimming and marathon swimming. I had done a little bit of open water swimming in my triathlon. But if you know a bit about triathlon, and I'm sure some of your listeners have competed in them the swim element is is a very small part of the overall triathlon so even though I did very well at the swimming component in my triathlon very short career it was overrode overridden by the fact that I didn't have a strong biking cycle so having a really good swimmer was not an advantage for a triathlon but then having a huge swimming background as a teenager like I was swimming 60 70 kilometers a week doing gym sessions only for about two and a half years, but still build up that huge volume. And then all of that, I didn't realize it was amazing transference into my marathon swimming career. So I started marathon swimming, like as a, not recently trained up, but as a younger person having just basically, you know, created all I needed, all the basic essential ingredients for a great marathon swimming career I cemented as a, as a teenager years beforehand, which was great.
1: Wow. Wow. That is that. Yeah. And there's, there's lots to unpack there. And uh, what I fucking love and part of my language code, what I really love about um, just hearing that little snippet there is, I mean, there's a couple of things that come up. Firstly, as you, as you touched on there, like you've got a lot of these emotional situations growing up and, and that's kind of why I wanted to start the conversation this way, because it becomes really relatable. So for anyone listening, whether it's swimming or any Mm. other endeavour, or you know, whether it's a sporting performance or some sort of career move, whatever it might be, um, it, it it helps set the scene to realise that you, um, you know, you're not superhuman. You've just you experienced the same psychological challenges that all of us do. You've just been really creative and uh, intentional about what you do with that so that's really powerful but then also to hear about the trial and error process of you know exploring the marathons and getting into swimming late and being a late like I actually didn't know this so that's super interesting you know there's a couple of themes there that make what you've been able to do um, a lot more relatable which I find insanely powerful um, and we'll talk about the nature thing in a moment. I find that really cool as well. The idea of just connecting with nature and even on a super small scale, I find I can run a lot better when I'm outdoors in the park or a forest than a, you know, in a treadmill in the gym, for example, because of that, that nature element. But um, to bring it all back, I touched on in the intro um, recently, what you've been able to do with the, the new world record, breaking the men's record, the, the 35th um, time across the English channel. And for people listening you know, they might not have been there, but I'm sure they've heard the they've heard about the English Channel, and it's needless to say, it's a it's a fair distance if I'm not mistaken. So, could you talk us through that experience, so the build up um, to that recent event or that recent performance, um, and talk us through what that feeling was like having completing it, then taking this new record, uh, and then some of the potential issues that were we've, Rearing their head with the quarantine. I know there was, there mm. was some controversy around that, which um, just made the story even more interesting to dive into. So, could you just talk about the No yeah. one can <laughs>
0: escape it this year, right? <laughs> Worse. So, my English Channel swimming career started back in 2009 when I did that first marathon swim I was talking about earlier and I had an amazing connection with the water. I knew at that moment that marathon swimming was going to be the sport that I could be the best in the world at and it only took me a few weeks to realize that i needed to go to the english channel because if i wanted to be the best in the world i needed to go where the best in the world swam and and not just you know like australians have done amazing things in the english channel but internationally it's the gold standard it's, it's the mecca it's if you want to go to the world stage of um, ultra distance marathon swimming so there is a 10 kilometer event in the olympics that's like intro, introduction level like first level marathon swimming whereas ultra marathon swimming which is what i specialize in is about 30 kilometers and that just keeps going to an infinite number to (laughs) however far people can push that number so as far as like distant ultra marathon swimming it is the place to be so i went there in the first year i tried to swim a double crossing of the english Channel. i didn't finish that second lap but that's a whole different podcast Mm. conversation for another day so i've been swimming it literally year in year out since 2009 so coming into this year, into 2020, I was at 31 English Channel crossings, and I had my eye on that men's record of 34. I wanted to surpass it, so they got to add at least one more to it. Uh, and as you know, everyone's life's been turned upside down by COVID. We were talking just before the show started about you know how hard it's been. You're in the travel business, probably the worst business to it's be in during <laughs> during a pandemic when no one, the government's like, you were not allowed to leave Australia. <laughs> So <laughs> it's hard if you're in the travel business. It's also hard if you're an English Channel swimmer and your sport is in England and you literally had to leave the country to get there. So there were many challenges this year. I couldn't access a pool for training because mm. I trained at elite level interval training, which is in a sh- repetition swimming at a high intensity. So getting your heart rate up and then having short rests and then repeating that. So it's hard work sort of swimming it's so important for my fitness my strength my keeping my pace at a really quick pace for these long distance swims so not having that for two months was really hard luckily I was able to access the ocean the whole time and it really mucked up with my plans then not being able to leave the country was mucking up with my plans I only got an exemption three days before my flight was due to leave the country so that stress there was incredible on top of that, this is, uh, my, may seem a bit off topic, but added to my stress levels, um, a full drive re-ended me six weeks before I was due to leave the English Channel, and um, I was basically borrowing a friend's car after that point to when I left the Channel, so I had, the, you know, I had a written off car and what am I going to do here? Um, then I got an infection three days before I was due to leave for England, um, which is just when all the media activity started before I left the country. And then because I got late notice that I was able to leave the country, I had nowhere to send my dogs. I've got two dogs that needed caring for for, for a three month stint. So when I was leaving the country, I was all over the place. I was sick, I was on antibiotics. I had nowhere to stay in England because I didn't want to book accommodation in advance because if the government said, no, you're not getting your exemption, it's been denied. I would not have now to get a refund from Airbnb. So I had no accommodation. Sick, super stressed. Traveling by myself, I travel on a very, I do these swims on a tiny budget because I don't have a major sponsor and everything is, is a cost moving forward every year. So, yeah, like I was a bit of a mess when I got to England. Luckily, the high of being able to get out of the country and all the media interest and the public interest kind of buoyed me for a few days. And then, like, the exhaustion and the jet lag really hit me when I hit England. But when a few days after that, when my first swim of this campaign was confirmed, I, you know, I got some more energy again, and then I got out there and I had really low expectations for my time. But then I did this really quick time across the English Channel because I still had this infection I was fighting. So I thought, you know, I just—I tell all my social media fans, just don't expect a fast time. I'm, I'm just gonna make my way to France. Because often I get fastest time of the season on one of my swings of, of the season that I do. Because I, I swim multiple times a season. So I was just like, you know, let's just set the expectation low here. I'm, I'm lucky just to be in England. So that's how it kicked off. That was uh, first few days of August. And what what was lucky for me and unlucky for me in this COVID situation I was lucky in that a lot of swimmers changed their channel swims. They either delayed a year because they couldn't get to England because if they got to England, some countries had to quarantine for 14 days and they swimmers need to keep swimming before channel swim. So a lot of them were like, no, I can't come. And then most Australian English channel aspirants wouldn't come because the government officially said, no, you can't leave the country. So there's some, these little windows of opportunity started opening up in August. So I got that first swim in and then literally a few days later, the pilot's like, Well, do you want to swim again? And I'm like, Yes, bring it on. And then I swam my second one. And then a few days later, my pilot said, Oh, you know, the weather's good. Can you swim again? And I'm like, Yep, let's do it. And I'm like, just getting over the infection now. And I've swam the English channel twice. So, yeah. like, I'm exhausted. And this third swim was actually nine days. There was nine days between my first swim and my third swim. So I just got out there, smashed another swim. And I was so exhausted at this point. Um, and then then I got a, a few days rest and then, then the weather window opened up again. And then just as I was gearing up to do this fourth swim to take the men's world record and the UK press were going nuts about it. They loved the story. Then Boris Johnson makes this announcement because he's decided that maybe – Maybe the English summer, which is when all the Britons love to travel to Europe and, and go to their second homes in Spain and visit all their relatives and other countries. They've decided, Boris and his team have decided, well, actually, maybe they should quarantine on return if they're from a high-risk country. Um, what I mean by high risk is if the infection rate is high from where they've been holidaying. And it was really inopportune for me because the day before my 35th channel crossing, all the media were lined up. I had a media team helping support my swim and they were literally like a media team. Like, can you like change the date? Because at the time of your swim doesn't work well with the news cycle. And so like I had my media team trying to change my swim date. And I was like, no, I can't because, you know, it's going to be really rough and waves if I try and change the date because they want to change it like 12 hours. Was like that's not gonna work and then I had a film team and then they were like can you not swim through the night because we haven't had a chance to sleep and you know catch up on our sleep before we go through a night swim and I was like no no no, I can't just change my swim so I had this quarantine issue and then I had the media team want to change the swim style then I had this film crew want to change my swim style and I'm just like pulling my hair out anyway I basically told the people around me like I have to swim at this certain time because because the channel is like, it's just a treacherous piece of water. Some of your listeners will have seen channel swimmers in the channel from TV or heard stories or read books. And, and you know, you can't just dictate when you feel like, because it suits your schedule, swimming <laughs> the English channel. You know, it's often two and a half meter waves. Um, then you've got the tide to contend with. You've got shipping traffic running through the middle. I mean, some of the cargo ships are up to 400 meters long. And they don't stop the swimmers. So you've got to find a way to weave through their shipping traffic. There's two lanes going in different directions, like a highway. So anyway, I had to settle all my team, most of my team around me to just kind of like get with the program that the channel decides when we when I swim, not me and not any of my team members. And then I had to figure out if I could have an exemption from this quarantine rule from anyone returning from France, because I was officially swimming to France. I go into French waters at halfway and then I land at France and I'm literally standing on French soil. Right. And I even had um, a government, a British government department reach out and suggest that I get legal advice to see if you know, I need to quarantine or not upon return to England.
1: Make sure there's no police officers waiting for you in France when you get (laughs) there.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because the English and French Coast Guards, they keep a really um, uh, tight-knit, I guess, check and balance on what's going on with these channel swimmers because you may have heard that there are a lot of refugees Of of generally of African origin, who will come and they'll come through via France and then try and get on small leaky boats to get to England. So the English and French coastguards have to keep a super tight watch on what's going on. So they, I can't can't sneak my way over to France. Like they're going to know exactly where I am at all times. Um, Luckily, Channel swimmers like myself, we were granted an exemption. So that came through like twelve hours before my swim so again i find myself in a situation when i'm super stressed you know covid's like kind of it's been a huge part of my year my preparation Mm. my channel swimming in a way it's made things much harder and in some ways it's made things a little bit easier like i don't usually get this much press when i swim the english channel but i think because so many people were having a tough year they just wanted a good news story so that gave more oxygen to the channel swims that I do you know I've been doing them every year but for some reason this year everyone's really excited about it
1: <laughs> that's awesome that is fantastic so what's your process then Chloe for working through some of the you know inevitable setbacks? whether it's the potential lockdown you mentioned the infection you were fighting um while you're doing you know the first couple of runs of the or first couple of swims um, do you have, uh, is that does that come naturally to you? Again, just going back to that first idea we were, we were exploring earlier, like do, how do you go about um, not becoming trapped in problems, I guess? I mean, it's it'd be mm. too easy to go, look, I'm a bit unwell. Maybe next year, the whole COVID thing's a bit confusing. Let me just put off my plans. Um, you seem quite rigid when you put your mind to something.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting question and just something to, to consider there because I like to be opportunistic. So if there's a chance to get in and swim the channel, I want to take that chance. But I also need to keep in mind that everything is out of my control. And as human beings we are like innately wired to want to control things it gives us familiarity it helps us plan it reduces our stress levels and there's a part of our brain called the amygdala which doesn't like change because there's so much unknown and the amygdala doesn't like new things because it likes things that happened in the past because the past is certainty it knows what happens in those patterns It knows that every day in in your past you were kept alive. So it wants to keep repeating old patterns, old habits, even if they weren't particularly helpful, at least they were familiar and they were known. So what I keep doing to myself is kind of putting myself into new situations or very a lot of uncertainty. So I go to England this year, for example, and with COVID, at any point in that whole time I was in England, England could have shut down businesses. And look, they've done it now, the major lockdown back to major lockdown they could have shut down my English channel swimming and I could have gone to England and literally not done any channel swims at all. I took a huge gamble. So what I I guess what I do is I'm very opportunistic, but then I also keep in mind at the same time. So I hold two thought processes in my head in that I'm going to set myself up for the best chance, give myself the opportunity to to achieve something. But I'm also, in the other hand, going to keep in mind that everything is out of my control and something may happen to take my opportunity away and I need to be okay with that. So I guess giving myself permission to take chances to be courageous and have a go with things and not, not be hard on myself if I don't achieve things for reasons outside my control. So being comfortable with the idea that I'm going to set big goals. I'm not always going to make them. I believe I can, but for some, sometimes things happen and I can't, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with failure. I have failed multiple times. In fact, I'm much better failing than succeeding. And I think that's a really good training experience and a growth experience for me, because when you realize that it's okay to fail, it doesn't, Failure is just, it's just an outcome that whatever you wanted wasn't going to happen on that particular day in those sort of circumstances. So it's, I just try and take that more as a data feedback mm. and depersonalise it because there have been times early in my career when I personalised failure to myself and I made it about me. It's about me as a person not being good enough or, or really just kind of went into self-criticism where I was blaming myself, judging myself. But even if I maybe could have done things to prepare better, then I will just take that as information feedback that I need to work on preparation, depersonalise it, go, yes, things need to change. I need to adapt. I need a new strategy, but I'm not going to really get down on myself and just think, okay, this is just a process I need to fix. So um, setting big goals and failing at times along the way, that's just made me more comfortable with uncertainty, more comfortable with the fact that things don't always go to plan. And that's okay. So I think a part of my resilience is is setting big goals and just, just being or, or getting used to what it's like to fail, but then not taking that personally. And that gives me the confidence to go back and then just keep throwing myself at these challenges and, and, and yeah, keep, keep pushing the boundaries of, of my sport.
1: Yeah, that is fantastic, Chloe. Um, And I'm sure you'd agree there's probably a big opportunity for people listening to apply that same approach. You know, I talk a lot about in the show about life being a game of nuance. So you can simultaneously have, you know, um, one idea. Um, for example, it might be the joy or the passion that comes from pursuing something that's so important to you, and obviously for you it's swimming. Um, but then at the same time, you can still um, hold just as aggressively the belief or the idea that... Um, I'm not, you know, things are going to happen that are outside of my control and there is a level of peace that comes with that understanding. So you can hold those two things. They're not, you know, mutually exclusive. And I think when people can mm. get good at that, it just opens up a whole world of opportunity because you're no longer, you know, you're no, you're no longer riddled with anxiety of what ifs and and things of that nature. So I'm sure you'd agree, but I feel like there's a big opportunity re- whether it's in sport or any endeavor it, it just through it, through the you know the ups and downs of life is a big opportunity for us all to apply that same approach would you agree
0: yeah definitely i think that if people wanting to achieve big goals in their life and it doesn't matter if it's got to do with sport or, or anything else you've got to take risks and you know, taking risks inherently means that there's going to be a chance of failure so you've as you know as humans if we want to achieve big things, we've got to get comfortable with the idea that we may not succeed and all and confront those fears that may come around with those things. So some people fear failure, some people fear success, some people fear what their family or colleagues will think of them if they go out and start a business and it's not as successful as they hoped it would be. So I think that through, through that process uh, of, of wanting to achieve goals and really putting yourself out there, you've, you've got to you are going to be comfortable going up to and facing your fears, literally staring them in the eyes and going, I'm going to take you on. And it's that process of facing your fears, which really is is more impressive than actually whatever your goal is. I mean, mm. your goal is just the symbolic thing. It's that the journey of facing your fear and finding a way to, to push through that, to work around that and the person that you come in that transformational process is is really the beautiful thing about achieving great things
1: yeah absolutely i've heard you talk a bit about you know getting out of your comfort zone and we're kind of touching on that theme here do you think that's how you actually go about you know getting that feedback and using failure as data is that how you get that clarity to work out you know uh, because for a lot of people i know i've been in this position sometimes you just don't know what you don't know right you don't know what's holding you back but you just know it feels uncomfortable To get outside your comfort zone, maybe maybe it is a fear of failure, maybe it is a fear of success, maybe it is a fear of criticism and ridicule from you know friends, family, or even strangers. But sometimes we're so you know um, stagnant, so stuck, and not Mm. in motion, um, and not pursuing, and not getting data, not getting you know that we can't even see what those things are. So is is a part of that process just? I don't know if it's having faith, but is a part of it just trusting the process to get outside the comfort zone to then learn more about yourself? Like you seem quite self-aware. Like is, do you, is, that, is that in large part because you've got outside your comfort zone, you can kind of find what's holding you back and pivot from there, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to kind of really unpack so deep I know. these topics. I love it. I don't usually get podcast is going You're talking deep, my like language.
1: As soon as you started talking about the amygdala and I'm like, oh dude, we're on. Like this is my jam.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, neuroscience is one of my passions. Fantastic. So um, look, I think to succeed at the goal, there's many elements that need to align. I don't think there's one thing I can say where I can just go like this is like the one secret, follow this and you, know, you will find your path or you will become unstuck. A few, like just maybe break it down to three quick things. Um, this is my personal opinion, that if you're trying to achieve a goal and you're feeling a bit stuck, find someone who's achieved that goal and contact them there are people that contact me all the time and they're like, you know, how do you swim the English channel 37 times? How do you swim it four times in 16 days? And, and they, they're like, they are switched on. They're like, okay, I want to swim the channel. I may only want to do it once, but this person who's done it 37 times, she must know a few things about swimming the English channel more than the average swim coach. Um, or more than that she can get from reading and trawling the internet and trying to pick out tiny bits of information after 20 hours of trawling. So I would go straight to the person or persons who you think have achieved exactly what you want, if not higher, and then just try and get as many pearls of wisdom from them or from their interviews or from their books or from their movies or their podcasts or whatever. So that's an NLP technique is modeling off a master, finding that successful person. Um, if you are, if you're having, if you're stuck and you're not sure what what you're stuck with, then you probably have self limiting beliefs somewhere in there, and it can be really hard to find them because a lot of them are subconscious. So we don't actually know why they're there, we don't know how they got put there, and we we don't know what the label is for them. So if you're someone who you feel like that's an issue with, then I would really suggest reaching out and and finding a coach that you connect with. So a life coach, a results coach. Uh, So I do executive coaching as well as my swim coaching for English Channel Swimming. And in that process, sometimes there are people in their professional life who have things that they're causing them to be a bit stuck. So they they may be, for example, self-sabotaging and they don't even realize it because maybe they're a bit afraid of success because if they become successful, they'll be promoted and they'll have to travel a lot. So in the executive world, if you're going up the chain, it usually involves travel and then that can have a detrimental effect on their family and their personal life. So sometimes, you know, that can be self-sabotaging thing. So if you are think you're really stuck with something and you can't even identify it and it's, it's, you know, it's a problem for you, I'd seek out a coach. I do coaching, but there's other people out there who do it as well. Um, And then as a third process, I think at a word that you said earlier, I really connected with, which is getting into motion. So a lot of us have these goals in our heads and we want to achieve things and we do so much research or we want to get all our ducks, like hundred percent lined up in a row. And we're not going to start on that journey until we feel we're 100% ready. But that is it's literally impossible for anyone to be hundred percent ready before you start a project to know if you're going to be successful, you've got to take that risk and just start. And even if you start and you feel like you're 60% ready, that's still a good starting position because as you're getting into motion, you are learning so much along the way. Mm. So I'm starting my first meetups um, at the moment. And it's a really exciting, it's a new thing for me and I don't feel like I've really got my head around meetups. You know, I'm I'm new to this. I know my first few meetups, you know, they're going to be a little bit rusty because you know what? I've done a bit of practice before I go live, but before I first go live, I've never gone live before. So the first time I swam the English channel, I've never done the English channel before. There has to be a first time. And you're going to learn a lot when you start. So getting into motion, finding that movement and you get energy by getting into just starting don't wait till you feel like things are 90 100 ready before you start start and then learn along the way and learn quickly there's a saying um, by an american author who i've had some done some work with and he says uh start fast and fail fast oh no hang on it's i think it's fail fast learn fast or anyway it's i should be able to remember i get i get
1: the sentiment already yeah.
0: yeah the sense that just get going. It's okay to fail, but learn something and then keep going from there. Just keep learning, 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 learning. Don't get hung up on it. Don't go into this self-guilt, self-doubt, or maybe I'm not worthy enough. And just keep pushing through.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I often say to people, oh, look, I don't know if, and look, I, I don't know if it's the right advice or not, but what it seems to sit well with me is this idea of you're better off running a 1,000 miles in the wrong direction, working out in the wrong direction, being able to quickly pivot and come back, than staying still than the person who's just wondering, do I go left or do I go right? And I love that you said, Chloe, that you get energy you know, when you are in motion. And it's so true. I feel like you get a couple of things. You get energy and you get that clarity. So it's easier to think more clearly once you're kind of on the move. And it's interesting, like it's a bit of a funny paradox. Like I say, I, I feel like um, from, you know, just having conversations on the, sh- on the show with different people and just conversations I have off air with friends and family, it seems like, one of the biggest roadblocks to actually getting started is, you know, what are people going to think of me? Is it this fear of failure? Is it the fear of ridicule if you do fail? Um, but I pro- I like to hypothesize that um, the, the, there's far more damage to our what ego, our self-esteem, our self-worth, all those things. There's far more damage to that. Even if you don't recognize it on a conscious level, at a subconscious level, there's far more damage. Um, insidious damage going on there from staying still and knowing that you're not moving towards something that's important to you than there is mm. from making moves forward and failing. And if I just reflect back on some of the times in my life, you know, whether it's small or large things that I've you know tried to pursue, it's it's the times when I'm fucking overthinking. I'm just going, what if this happens? What if mm. that happens? Like you said, like I don't have the hundred of my um, my hundred ducks lined up, so I can't execute just yet. I feel terrible. I'm fatigued. I'm flat. I can't think clearly, think clearly. vis v, um, you know, just making moves. And even if they're the wrong ones, going, oh, fuck, I, I can. Okay, that's all good. Like, I feel like I'm in flow. Let me, let me work at the next thing. And um, I feel like there is so much value in what we're talking about here for people just to make that first move. And the yeah, the, the, the funny paradox is they will feel better about themselves even if they fail, even if they <laughs> are ridiculed than the than the stagnation of being stuck. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. We're, we're totally on the same page here.
1: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's um it is it is pretty crazy. So for you, just to kind of come back to your swimming, um, you kind of touched on it a little bit at the start there, but is there any um could you maybe talk a bit more about why open water swimming as opposed to say lap pool swimming um you know like the uh and uh, nature's obviously one element there but something we we're talking about often and what i want to kind of bring this around to is um you know we were talking about you recently uh, being diagnosed with um post-traumatic stress if i'm not mistaken uh and so again that's just another example of where you know you're just like any other person you've got um you know challenges in your life and we're talking about how you use the water as a sense of therapy to some extent so um could you maybe talk about your relationship i suppose a bit more with open water as opposed to just traditional you know racing up and down in a lap pool
0: mm. yeah theres some two really good ideas that you've brought up there so lap pool swimming is ironically really similar to open water swimming but also really different so most open water swimmers will swim freestyle most pool swimmers they may race any stroke but a a lot of their training is done freestyle it's the best one to increase your aerobic capacity because it uses the least amount of energy and and for other reasons so i grew up pool swimming and also competing competitively and so much of it was driven to just literally shaving off a hundredths of a second or trying to beat other people constantly because the only way that you can win is to beat the field that you're racing against. And although I loved the, like I got into sports psychology as a teenager because I had a coach who was like really cutting edge. He was an Olympic level coach who um, coached Matt Welsh who won Olympic medals, um, Gian Rooney, Grant Hackett, things like that. So it was great coach. I mean, in that way, I did grow a lot in that sphere, that racing sphere, but the pool swimming to me, it's, uh, it's great for training. I'd love it for my training, but it's just so artificial. So you're swimming literally in a million litres of chlorination. So it's just really harsh chemicals and it's a really controlled environment. The water is always flat. There's no unknown. If you have a swim event in the pool, you know what date it is and to a degree you know what time of day it's going to be on that day when open water swimming it's just so wild you literally can can go in and one day the English Channel is flat it's not often but sometimes it can be flat and then you go the next day or that same day but later in the day and you know it's two and a half meter waves you just you've just swum into a storm so I love that in open water swimming I don't have to race other people if I don't want so ultra marathon swimming, you virtually, there's very few races in the world because that's not really the point of ultramarathon swimming. The point is pushing your own boundaries to see how far you can go, what you can achieve. Um, so it's like getting a new personal best every time that you swim further than you've ever swum before. Or when you complete a tough swim that you've never completed before so there's so much opportunities for for growth for that existential experience um and maybe some people find they can get that from competitive swimming but i think also for masters level athletes so people you know who are over 18 years of age or over over their early 20s open water swimming is a chance to be successful and some people don't really have a sporting background and they love open water swimming because they can be successful. You know, they were the kid at school who was uncoordinated and it was never picked for teams and they can become an open water swimmer. And some of them have, you know, very poor stroke techniques, but they complete a 10 kilometer swim or longer, or they complete, you know, some marathon swim in a relay or in a solo or something. And for them, it's just an amazing achievement. So I love that I can push my own personal boundaries. And I started off with the 10 kilometer swim and then I kept going and then adding and adding, adding distance because I wanted to keep pushing myself. I wanted to be the best in the world, but I also really just wanted to see how far I could go. I was on this this quest. As you can see, I love the whole philosophical and neuroscience and existential element as well. And then I kept pushing myself. And then it came to the point where pushing myself was actually pushing the boundaries of the sport, not just today you know so back in 2014 when i got the world record it wasn't just that year it was historically and that was a really special thing and with that you know i got not really a lot of press in australia um, i made no money out of it but it was fulfilling in that that was my dream for when i was 19 to be the best in the world at something and i'd had so many failures along the way which we don't have really have time to go into but you know, I got to that point where I, I achieved that. I finally achieved that. I, I pushed my boundaries again. And then I, I extended the line of where marathon swimming had gone historically. So I just feel that that open water swimming, it's just, it's a really beautiful thing because, you're connecting with the environment and you have the chance to push yourself and you don't have to be an elite athlete to get something amazing out of achieving something because you don't have to race anyone. And Mm. I think that's why it's growing so much in popularity. Um, But also on the other side of it, there's something beautiful about being immersed in water. So water has some sort of energy or properties, not so much say pool swimming, but in open water swimming, um, it's really hard. I don't think there's a word for it yet. So I'll just use the word energy. And there've been a few books written about this that it just does something really calming to your brain. So a lot of people with anxiety, they use swimming open water swimming and particularly cold water swimming as literally as their therapy. Um, it's been open water swimming and cold water swimming has been shown to reduce depression specifically. Um, it's been shown to relieve some other sort of medical conditions. So, it's becoming a part of people's like literal health plan in recovery. So, as you said, um, I have post-traumatic stress post-traumatic stress disorder, sorry, it can be a tongue twister. Mm. And swimming regularly was really good because I was very anxious about things happening. I was in fear for my safety. So my amygdala was in overdrive. It was constantly in fear and it really wouldn't calm down. And when most people rest at night and they sleep and their body uses that as a time to reset for the next day and to process what happened on the day that's finishing, at night my amygdala would go into overdrive because at night things are dark and, it, and at night you know, um, I just felt in much more fear. So I had a symptom of hypervigilance where I would pace around my house looking for danger. So I would try and patrol any sort of window or door inside my house and this would go on all night long and I would fall asleep when the day the sunlight came because in the daytime I felt safer. So I'd sleep during the day and then patrol the house at night, very odd sort of situation. But swimming helped me through that because in open water swimming, there's this calmness that comes for a lot of people and it really just kind of calmed a bit of that anxiety. And I was also doing pool training as well. So interval high intensity training. That was also helpful because I got to swim at such a high intensity that I burnt off a lot of this energy that would have been channeled towards being anxious. So it helped reduce my anxiety because I was just getting rid of this excess energy that I was having. And then also the combination of these two types of exercise, I was releasing really good fuel chemicals. So dopamine, serotonin, when I went fast, I would release adrenaline. And then when I was in doing these swims, I would always swim with other people and people that, you know, I had a great affinity with. And especially I had a coach for my pool swimming. It's the same regular person at nearly every swim session. And so I would release the bonding chemical oxytocin. So um, exercise I found has been an amazing antidote to 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 work through my symptoms. So if anyone has anxiety or post-traumatic stress um, syndrome specifically, if you're not already, I'd really suggest that you get out there and just give exercising a go. And if you don't like exercise, maybe try a different type of exercise because you know, maybe if you've done running in the past and you said, oh no, I don't like running, I don't like exercising, maybe a different type of exercise is better for you. For example, swimming is really good for a lot of people because it's not weight bearing. So if you have ankle issues, hip issues, knee issues, then that should not be exacerbated by swimming. Um, Or if you just find exercising boring, um, if you haven't already, try and grab a buddy or join a group and meet new people. So there's just so many opportunities. There's so many types of exercises out there. And I know with Melbourne, there's been lockdown, so things have been extremely restricted and that's been really tough. But now that things are loosening a bit, if you're not already, go out there and get exercising again and get get those feel-good chemicals pumping through your system
1: i get, that's so well articulated collie and I've, i'm almost guarantee with today or tomorrow i'm going to go out to the ocean which i'm fortunate enough to live nearby and you're making me want to go for a swim now a couple of things i've got a couple more questions i throw at you and then we'll wrap up i just want to be respectful respectful of your time i feel like we could just talk for hours um but uh, so I I've, I've spoken pretty openly on this show. I've had a history of pretty crazy anxiety and uh, about depression as well, which is pretty debilitating and almost well, literally every single day I have cold showers. So just the cold exposure in a short dose already is has like a myriad of benefits, and um, that's been fantastic. But hearing you describe some of the other sort of factors that come into play with open water swimming, you know, I probably won't be able to swim the English Channel anytime soon. But um, I'm wondering if people listening might be feeling the same way I am even just chatting with you now is, you know, I really want to go out there and, um, and, uh, and spend time in the water. So that's really cool. And like you said, it's very cathartic um, to a whole host of illnesses and psychological illnesses and just even just feelings of being flat and fatigued and disconnected. It's a really good opportunity to kind of do something. We're talking about, you know, getting into momentum and action, uh, maybe going down to the water and having a paddle around is a really good place to start and see if that fits, see how that makes you feel and kind of go from there. Um something I wanted to get to with you, Colby, was we were talking off air about some of the um, and you just touched on it earlier about some of the media coverage that was new um for this recent swim. Uh obviously with the COVID situation, it was a fear good story. Uh, but it's really clear that, and you've touched on it in a few different themes throughout this chat. It's really clear that you're obviously far more interested in, you know, setting your own personal best and pushing your own limits and all the the myriad of things that come with that, as opposed to just chasing, you know, fame, for example. And this is a topic I want to bring up. I think it's really important, um, whether it's on a large scale or a small scale. It, it comes down to: are we doing things for the right reasons? So, you know, I know you've just had a recent um, expose I know what you would call it with um, with Marie Claire and, and Women's Weekly too if I'm not mistaken which is awesome to get your story out there to more people which is super exciting um, but it sounds like you know certainly the early days you know you're doing these big long swims and all this training with behind closed doors um, it seems you're far more interested and motivated by um, you know by yourself I suppose if that makes sense so do you think that I mean, that's something that I see in culture a lot is people ch- doing things for the wrong reasons and that's often why they fall short. I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that a lot of what you've been able to um, do is because your, motivate, like your motivation for doing so is to the curiosity of how far you can push your limits and the the cathartism that comes from, you know, being in the world and these things that we've touched on?
0: Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, no one's ever asked me that question before. So I love that you're really going into these new and interesting areas. I think that I I try not to judge people. It's a hard thing and it's literally Mm. something I trip myself up on. And I'm working through that process. So if people want fame, uh, you know, if they want to pursue money as something that seems like their central goal, then I just respect that that's the journey that they're on and that's something they're needing in that particular point in time. So from my perspective, I don't like to think that they're doing anything wrong for the wrong reasons. Obviously, you know, people who are criminals are literally doing things for the wrong reasons. But when it comes to like fame and money and things like that, you know, that's the journey and they're feeding a need that they have. I think the reason I've been able to keep going for my sport, or one of the reasons for so long, um, without getting, like, I, I don't have a major sponsor. I work a business with multiple things I do on the side to literally help fund the costs of getting on an aeroplane and going overseas. I think I've been able to sustain this now for about 12 years at such a high level is because I'm driven by my purpose. So, my purpose is to push my boundaries and inspire other people and and push the boundaries of the sport and try and empower as many people as I can along the way. Because that's getting fed every single year along this journey, I'm getting energy back from the process without getting fame and without getting monetary reward so I'm I'm getting rewarded every year in a way that feeds me really well so I guess for me because I get energy through this process it doesn't like I've obviously fame would help because fame would help me get major sponsors and I know that well my opinion is that you know I'm strong I do struggle financially with what I do and, um, but it's not me. That's what I reinforce myself, that society rewards some sports more than others. For example, you know, cricket and AFL, the top AFL players are like a million dollars a year. And they're not necessarily a better athlete from me, but the sport that they're in um, has great organization and links with the media. It's very structured and the public love it. The Public love consuming that type of um, sport. So. You know, I just go, well, you know, I'm going to keep doing my thing, whether the media care or not, it doesn't, you know, it's not going to stop me doing what I love, which is pushing the boundaries of my sport and inspiring as many people along the way. So, you know, mm. good on them for their journey. I do think that if money and fame are your number one reason for doing what you're doing, they're not probably going to last that long in what they do, because I don't think they're getting really going to get really good energy if that's what's driving them. And then you know, there's other issues that come with that pushing and pushing and, yeah. you know, in those directions. So I think that if you're on purpose, if you're on purpose and you're making lots of money, then, then great. If you're on purpose and you're not making money, if you're still happy, then then great. So that's kind of where no, I'm pre- at. I'm in that last category.
1: <laughs> that is fantastic. Really well said. And I agree aggressively. I think the key is what gives you energy. It's not, yeah, probably less about what's right or wrong, but what's maybe right or wrong in that moment in time. You know, if you start burning out, if you start feeling flat and disconnected and then it's probably that's probably like that symptom is probably an indication that maybe your motivational um sort of north star is askew um but if you're getting the energy i think that's the key and i reckon that sense of purpose like you touched on is one of the key ingredients for that you know longevity that you know you've been that you've been able to demonstrate and um hopefully people listening can apply to their own life um as well so just before we wrap up collie i'd love to know you know i mean half the reason i want to connect with you is to take your message and your psychology which is exactly what i wanted you've touched on some really important ideas here um and share that with you know with, with people that are tuning in um, and motivate them are there people uh that motivate you i'd love to know if there's people whether it's in the swimming space or not that you connect with either in person or virtually that um you get inspiration from
0: yeah, well, that's that's great. It's a great kind of area to look into because I never had real swimming models or um, music, you know, idols growing up. I, I loved the Australians back when I was young. So back in the 2000s, 2000s, Olympics, Australian swimming was literally at its peak. Like there was gold medals everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. So they're doing great things, but there's no one particular person I idolised. And I think that's because They just seemed so far removed when, when they're on those podiums, it was just like, they were superhuman. And then I kind of did feel like they were a different type of species. Maybe they weren't like Mm. me. So what I really connect with are everyday people who have incredible stories and they've, they've overcome amazing challenges, which just seems unfathomable. And they've still gone on to live, say, a functional life, or they've still got on to achieve in sports So, like Paralympians, you know, as a group, I think are very inspiring. I have a friend in Scotland who has um, a life-threatening condition, and she's in she's in organ failure, and it's, it's a condition she lives with. It's something she's got to manage. It can't be cured and she's so inspirational and she's a cold water swimmer and she shares her story and she's so positive and then at times when she's struggling she'll share that vulnerability too and I think that that's a really inspiring thing when when people go through tough things and they share that publicly that that vulnerability and you know what it's like to go through those tough moments and to put themselves out there to the world and to share that I think that's that's a gift that they're giving the world. And yeah, my friend in Scotland, Laura, she's, she's so inspirational and she finds me inspirational. So we just have a lovely, lovely friendship. We call each other sisters. So um, her story really resonates so much. I think she's way more inspirational than I am because I can choose to stop marathons whenever I want. Like I'm not pressured by sponsors or family or whoever to do anything but she can never just choose to stop having that life-threatening condition. Mm-hmm. And, and she's just she's so inspirational the way she goes about things. And, yeah, everyday people like that who, uh, well, she's probably not everyday. She's, she's absolutely exceptional. But anyone really has gone through a tough time and who's pushing out, who's pushing through it or who has pushed through it and who shares those stories and those really tough moments, I, I find those people particularly inspirational.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Really good place to finish. Um, how can people connect with you, Kylie? Are you online? Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, I'm online. I'm on social media with my name, which I'm sure Liam will put up with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so that's Instagram and also Facebook. And um, yeah, I've got a website. If you want to explore coaching to help you get through some of those blockages you may have or help you get to the next level, then yeah, I'd love to hear from you too and Connect and please keep um, keep an eye on my journey as I go towards the world record for most Channel Crossings next year. Hopefully I'll get that in August or September next year.
1: I'm sure you will. We'll have to get you back on the show then and um, continue this conversation. It's been real, so much value. Um, you know, I was excited to connect with you and... Um, Hopefully you've enjoyed it. There's been a lot of things we've touched on and like I joked earlier, we could riff on this for hours, but um, some really important ideas to take away and hopefully get people moving in the right direction, right? Taking action and and staying in flow and, and pivoting from there. So um, thank you, Chloe. Thanks, Liam.
0: I'd love to come back again in the future.
1: Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favour and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come. and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.